0: I was like, wow, there's so many things that I took for granted in my life that I'm like, I, I need to change something here, man. So I always say that a lot of addicts don't get recommended to go to jail, but I'll tell you what, without that jail sentence, I don't know if I would be where I'm at today. Because if I would have just got sentenced to the 90 days in rehab, I don't think that would have been impactful to me because I needed, I needed that perspective shift. I needed to know and, and face the consequences to what I had done. And that seven months in jail was perfect for that. And it really set me up for success going in the rehab. I, I pressed the gas on health and fitness. Funny enough, when I went to rehab after that, because that was court ordered, um, I was working out three times a day because they had a gym there. So I'd wake up in the morning and I would do body weight exercises in our dorm. Midday, I would go for a run around the, the yard. And at night, I'd go to the weight room. And I remember my my counselor pulled me into her office one day and she's like, Alex, come here. And I was like, okay. And I come in there and she gives me this pamphlet and it's it's titled Cross Addiction. And I'm like, Shannon, what's this? She's like, I think you have another addiction. I was like, What? And she's like, exercise. And I laughed in her face. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that this addiction is better than heroin. So I think I'm gonna press the gas on it. <laughs> I was like, what do you want me to like? What do you want me to do? Like, and, and that's where I learned like that energy, and, and it kind of goes back to what I was talking about when I quit heroin on my own for sixty days and started drinking a lot. That's when I learned the lesson of, you know, energy cannot be created nor destroyed. And if you have an addiction or anything like, and you get rid of it, that energy is going to go somewhere. And if you don't place it somewhere positive, it's just going to bring you down. That's why you see like alcoholics will quit alcohol, they'll start gambling, or drug addicts will start gambling, or they'll become a sex addict or a porn addict or whatever it is they're going to divert that energy into something that makes them feel good because at the end of the day, all addiction is is an addiction to dopamine. So I get my dopamine from exercise. Yeah. That's what I like. That's what I like. So – I have not, uh, uh, despite what Shannon said, and shout out, Shannon, because I love that woman, even though she wasn't an addict, I always gave her shit for that because she only had a four year degree. And I'm like, you don't freaking know what it's like, Shannon. You went to college for four years to learn about this. Like, I learned this the hard way. Yeah. But shout out to her because she tried her best. But uh, yeah, Shannon, I have not stopped pressing the gas on that exercise addiction. I'm doing quite fine.
1: I'm Ren McDonald, and this is The Hope Initiative a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth, where I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Hello and welcome to the Hope Initiative. My name is Ren MacDonald. Thank you for joining me for episode 124 with Alex Sherry. Back in 2016, Alex stole just over $10,000 from his employer at the time and it led him to almost overdosing on heroin and taking his own life. We chatted about that and so much more in this conversation. It was a very raw one. Alex is very charismatic, doesn't shy away from the cold hard truth of his situation and I really appreciate it. We talk about that and so much more, journaling. The practicing mindfulness through that practice but also pushing yourself physically as being a path to greater heights i hope you all enjoy listening and if you do please share it with a family member or friend someone who you think will get some benefit out of this conversation connect with alex on twitter and also the podcast all of those links are in the show notes so without further ado please enjoy this chat with alex cherry Alex Cherry, welcome to the Hope Initiative.
0: It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Even though you're in the future in Australia, I'm still on Sunday or in Monday, but it's all right. We're good to go.
1: We're good to go, baby. Yeah, 2, 2 p.m. in Pennsylvania, 5 a.m. here in Melbourne. Absolutely stoked to connect, man. Twitter, bring people together. You're actually the first person I've, I've spoken to that I've met via Twitter this year, albeit we haven't engaged too much, but I've followed you now i think for for over six months i'd say loving loving your tweets you've got your own podcast you've got some really cool things that you're you're working on so yeah stoked to stoked to have you man i would love to start if we could though with your earliest memory as a child and if you could bring us forward to the present day and i like to challenge people to sort of a a three or four minute time limit but that origin story starting with your with your earliest memory Wherever that lands right now.
0: Literally, as soon as you said that, it popped in my mind, man. And I don't know why. You guys have McDonald's in Australia. I assume you do. It's
1: everywhere. Absolutely,
0: yeah. Yeah, I was going to say it's everywhere. But uh, I don't know why I thought about this. It's probably like probably in first grade or something at this point. And this is when you could still smoke at McDonald's, when some would say that the world was still all right. And I had my birthday party there, and that's when they had the creepy, like the the purple blob guy and the Ronald McDonald, the creepy, the creepy caricatures that they had there. And yeah. I had my birthday party there, and that's the very first thing as soon as you said that that popped to my mind. Man, it was a good time though. <laughs> yeah, it's probably like kindergarten or first grade. What else did you ask from that?
1: It was essentially just yeah, starting with that earliest memory, bringing us forward, touching on maybe some of the key moments in in your life that have led you to sort of the person you are now? And I'll, I guess I'll just yeah. pick from there after that.
0: Yeah, so so that was my earliest memory, I believe. So I was probably kindergarten or first grade. So that was probably, I was like five to seven there. And kind of the trajectory that led after that, I was in a very happy family at that point. My mom and my dad were a young couple. They had me shortly after me. It was about three years later. They had my sister. Two years later, another sister. Uh, about four years later, another brother. But through those children, their their marriage started to crumble. My mom, unfortunately, started to dive deeper into alcoholism. She had some mental health issues where she's abusing uh, prescription medications. There's a few times that she tried to take her own life that I've walked in on when my parents were together. So that was really adversity ridden. And I think they got divorced when I was like 11. So that was really really had a huge impact on my life and kind of set me up to a trajectory of where i went in life not to use that an excuse at all but it was just definitely laid a foundation of trauma in my life you know which led me to acting out in school in elementary school and middle school and then in high school with uh, the discovery of alcohol and marijuana with my friends you know and kind of taking that to the limit. I was always that guy where my friends and I would drink and party on the weekends and I would not stop and I would keep going. So I always knew that I was a little different because I always took stuff to the extreme dropped out of school because like, geez, like I just didn't even want to be there anymore. And it wasn't for a lack of knowledge. It was just for a lack of uh disregard for authority. I just had no, if you told me what to do, I disliked you. Um, (laughs) I found my way into bartending when I was in my early twenties, which was great. I'm a very social person. And I found, I found out I was really good at it. And uh, I really took that to the limit. Got a job in a bar restaurant, really rose up the ranks in that place really quick. And I became a manager within like eight months. And uh, shortly after that, you know, anybody who's worked in the restaurant industry knows that it's riddled with people who are alcoholics and, uh, do a lot of drugs. I mean, it's not to put a blame on that, but that's what happens and smoking a lot of weed in the wrong circles. Got, uh, got put in front of me, oxycodone, a prescription medication, opiate, and uh, started doing that, and just like the alcohol back when I was in ninth grade, you know, it was one of those things where I started doing it on the weekend, and then that bled into the week, that led into a full-blown heroin addiction, which led to me stealing ten thousand plus dollars from my job to feed this addiction, which wow. led me to getting fired from my job, which led me to going to the psychiatric center three times, which led me to try to commit suicide three times, which led me to jail, and then the rehab. And now this guy you see here today is a product of seven months in jail three months in rehab and five and a half years clean off heroin. So it's been quite a ride, but like that's the TLDR, the fast elevator pitch story of my story.
1: Wow, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And for, for context, for people who have maybe never come across some of the stuff that you've put on Twitter, there's that pinned post that you have, which is a screenshot. I think of a, a news reporter and it says ex bartender, Alex cherry, 24, 24, Kersey charged with eleven thousand dollars theft at first chance in. Police say he voided bills and took cash to buy drugs. And there's a photo of you in a beanie and a hoodie looking pretty disheveled. You got yeah. you know glasses on and then a, a photo of of the inn that I guess you're working at. But then next to that, you're standing in front of the the Spartan race banner, mm. fucking absolutely shredded. You got the metal <laughs> around your neck and you look pretty chuffed. Yeah. You look pretty chuffed, bro. So it's it's interesting to hear that what you you say seven years between that is sort of the caption but obviously there's a big history that goes before then it's why I like starting with with people's earliest memories you mentioned McDonald's but then I guess going to touch on your family life walking in on on your mum at times looking to take her own life I really yeah believe that you know, the earliest memories in our life can shape us a lot, but it's not Mm -hmm. to say that you can't change that narrative if it's a bad one for you. Mm -hmm. But if we could go back there to begin, how many, how many siblings did you say you have? Sorry.
0: Uh, All together, three. Well, now four, but at the time, three.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you, you have those siblings. What was life like growing up and where, I guess, do you fit in to that? And, and yeah could you talk to me maybe a bit more about that traumatic early life parents divorcing at 11 what what was that like for you
0: Yeah so I think first of all I think that earliest memory came up because I think that that really illust- illustrates when we were a happy family you know uh we used to go my my dad's family's quite large my mom's family's large and I remember we used to go on family vacations a lot which was great and then it kind of just dissolved from there and like I said, when my, my brother was born, there's about a nine-year difference between him and I. And right after he was born, when things really started to kind of just fall out of place. From there, man, you know, it was just – it was a lot of different stuff because it really shaped me because I seen my my siblings, my younger – I was very close. Since I was the oldest, my, my grandfather had four girls. He was a very great basketball coach at high school. He was a guidance counselor. So I was always with him my two sisters and my brothers always went to daycare because my parents were divorced at this point. So I didn't really have that connection with them growing up because I was always with my grandfather. That's not to say my grandfather didn't like my other siblings. It's just to say like they preferred to go to the daycare. I was with him all the time. So we didn't really have that connection growing up. My mom was kind of bouncing in and out of our lives. Like I said, like sometimes she'd have a really good streak and she'd be in our lives for a few weeks and everything would be great. And then she'd go on a tangent and be drinking and abusing a uh, uh, pills and all this stuff and then we never see her again broken promises you know picking us up leaving us in the car going in the bar she'd be there for hours that happened one time and my dad drove by and picked us up so there was a lot of scar tissue growing up man and it, it, it's unfortunately still mildly like that uh with the dishevelment of the family just to skip forward a little bit you know mm. this 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 occurred uh I actually lost my brother to a house fire my home caught on fire in 2016. January seventh of twenty sixteen, and that really just kind of expedited my my downfall with the abuse of drugs and everything because I was a full blown drug addict at that point. You know what I mean? Wow. So it really just spun everything out of control from there.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a lot. So you're fully blown drug addict. So the house fire, your brother died in. Was that the family home? At the time,
0: uh, that was the home we moved to. So I guess I skipped ahead a little bit there. I'm Let's sorry, go. I'm kind of monkey brain, but uh so my dad had met somebody else when i was about 13 he moved us from town to town It was only about 10 miles away she had two kids as well and they ended up having uh, a child together which would be my sister so i have another sister that was our family home and it was heated by a wooden coal furnace the i was actually in pittsburgh pennsylvania that night i was on my way i was going to go fly out to colorado to go on a skiing trip and i'll never forget it, it was 126 in the morning and I got a call from my then girlfriend telling me, like, hey, your house don't freak out, but your house is on fire. At that point, we didn't know anything was bad. And then come to find out, you know, my stepmother and my brother didn't make it out of the house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my my dad was getting life lighted, my baby sister was getting life lighted. Thankfully, they were getting life lighted literally five miles from where I was at in Pittsburgh at the time. But I was a full-blown drug addict at that time. Honestly, if that wouldn't have happened, I was probably going to get caught in the airport because I was trying to smuggle 50 bags of heroin onto an airplane to go to Colorado to go skiing for a week. So that was going to happen. So you know, I was sitting in a hospital for a week with my dad and my baby sister, full-blown blasted on heroin, you know what I mean, and just disconcerned about the type of person I was. I was like a zombie there. I was an emotionless person, and that's kind of how I coped with that for a while. But, yeah, I ended up losing them, and that was – really what expedited, because right after that, the next five months that followed that was when I, I started stealing all that money because my heroin addiction literally 2x overnight essentially. So I was doing about $200 a day prior to January 7th, 2016. And then right after January 7th of 2016, that expedited up to about $400 a day, which who's going to sustain $400 a day on a manager salary? Not me, I'm going to tell you that. So that's when I started figuring out, I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Oh, I'm just going to steal money. That was the idea.
1: Wow, four hundred dollars a day of heroin. A day. Fucking hell, man! How does the body sustain that? Like, yeah, if could could you explain, I don't know that a bit for people who maybe have never done heroin or or that level of drugs before.
0: That's a lot. I don't know how my I don't know how my body sustained that, my friend. I was living off brisk raspberry iced tea and like gummy worms. I shit you not, that's what I was eating and fried foods like I was just living off bar food so I'm doing all this heroin a day. And the funny thing is uh, a common misconception about heroin is is a lot of people who've never done hard drugs they you say what do you envision a heroin addict to be like? And you would probably imagine a person who's sitting in some dungy house, no sunlight, they're just tired, they're they're fading out, you know, they're not doing anything. I was a complete opposite. You know, imagine what you would imagine a cocaine addict to be bouncing off the walls, running around like that was me. I was working in a bar restaurant at a very, very high level, Uh, you know, and I was very good at my job, but I was high as shit the whole time. And the thing about that was I wasn't even really high to the point of being high. I was at the point of addiction where I was just sustaining. If I didn't have that amount of drugs, I wasn't going to perform right. So for me it was literally just like if i didn't have these drugs i couldn't cognitively perform my job i felt like i had the flu so it was just at that point just sustaining a high because i don't think at any point i ever got to the point of like fading out or overdosing because again my tolerance was sky high that it just wasn't ever going to get to that point
1: wow well before we get to the turning point of that and thank you for sharing sharing that i would love to know what What did you feel led you to it? You mentioned drinking, I think, in the ninth grade. Was that the first time you'd essentially started with drugs or alcohol at at that age, which I think would be around, at least for Australians, you're like 14, 15 years old. Mm -hmm. Was that the first time you you touched, yeah, alcohol, drugs? Yeah,
0: and honestly, uh, it was like it came in like a double whammy because I started drinking and smoking at the same time. But the funny thing about both of those was it was more so a peer pressure thing than I liked to do it because I didn't like the taste of alcohol or liquor. Hated Mm. it. For like the first year of smoking cigarettes, I didn't even inhale. (laughs) So like, (laughs) I'm just doing this stuff because like I envision this stuff to be what cool people do. Not Not to mention, I was a new kid in a school. So granted, I only moved 10 miles away, but I was in a new school now. So I had these kids that I felt like I needed to impress. I felt like I had to impress these people to get in these social circles, which they really weren't doing these things. Anyway, I wasn't hanging out with bad kids and they're still good kids. And I talked to a majority of them today and like they have great lives, Mm. but it's to say like, I I would assume, and we've never talked about it, but I bet you, I would imagine that we all had like this same thing where we thought this is what we had to do to be cool. And we were all doing it, whether we thought it was cool or not, but I didn't really care for it. But again, I did care for the fact of what alcohol brought me a year or two later after drinking. So like ninth grade, I'm like, "Uh, I'm just doing it because this is fun. But 10th grade, it started clicking like, oh, you know, I'm starting to get more interested in girls. I'm starting to get more interested in partying. I'm starting to realize what this alcohol can really do when you start drinking it and you start getting drunk and it enhances feelings and it suppresses bad feelings. And, And that's when I started taking it to the limit. You know, I had I had four underages before I was 20, you know, like just, and if you don't know what that is underage drinking, you can't drink till you're 21. If you get caught they suspend your license. So like I got, I got four underages before I was 20, you know, because I was just doing really, really stupid stuff, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, like, when my friends were like, hey, we're not gonna leave the party to go to the gas station to get Pop Tarts. Dumbass Alex is like, Well, I'll go. <laughs> this is a true story. I got caught at the gas station three in the morning. I was 16, no shoes, trying to buy Pop Tarts and I got a freaking underage. Like, who's gonna do that? I was alone. You know what I mean? And I walked two miles from the party to buy to buy wild berry pop tarts. It's, like, it's like I just I have an act of trying to people please and impress people. So therefore I think I have to do these extravagant things. To gain the, the friendship that people and that was a really big problem growing up for me and I think that came from like, my parents divorcing and like not having that nurturing support of my mother and my dad. My dad's the best guy in this world but he was he got full custody of me and my, my three siblings. He mm-hmm. had to support us he was working essentially 12 to 16 hours a day. You know what I mean? Trying to keep a roof over our heads. So I don't knock the guy for not being there. Like he was doing his best to make sure that we had what we needed, but I didn't have that support. So that's when I was looking outwards for other people and trying to get that love and affection from other people. That's why I was acting out because that's all I wanted at the end of the day.
1: Yeah. Wow, man. Thank you for reflecting on that. Yeah. It was going to be a natural next question. Why do you think that's the way it is? But you you really answered it well there at that time you know, 16 years old, getting that first, what What was it called? The, with the alcohol, alcohol check, what did you
0: oh, say? Oh, uh, underage, they're, they're called underage drinking.
1: Yeah, right. So you got that underage, I'm guessing you're, you're at school at this time, you're in high school. Did you have like mm-hmm. aspirations for what you wanted to do in life or was it just like uh, got to get to the next day sort of thing? You just live in sort of day to day, party to party life. Man,
0: we said it right before we even hit record here. We're shooting from the hip. That's like what what my motto was through high school. Like I had no dreams. I had no aspirations. Like I mildly thought about college, but like I didn't think about college in the sense of I want to be something. I thought about college in the sense of there's good parties there. <laughs> <laughs> like the, there was nothing that I thought I I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Like per se, like I had no dreams. I had no aspirations. I didn't know what I really wanted to do. Really, I was just living in the moment. I was just having fun. Yeah. and I was having a lot of fun doing it. And if anything, I was just gonna. If my best friend at the time said he was gonna go to so and so college, like I'd be like, Yo, man, I'm going there too because I don't want to leave you. We're gonna have a good time there together. Like there was nothing in my mind that I knew I wanted to do. Um, if anything, I knew I could fall back on the area that I live in in Pennsylvania. Once upon a time, back in World War II actually, it used to be the powder metal capital of the world, which means we make a lot of parts for industry, for uh, automotive, uh, lawn care, you know, computers, anything. We make a lot of parts around here. So if anything, I knew I could always fall back on just your entry-level industrial job. You know what I mean? You can make a pretty good living doing that. I'm like, well, if all else fails, I'll just get a factory job. My dad works in a factory, he makes good money. Why not?
1: Why not, hey? That that wasn't the case. As you've shared, you went into a, essentially hospitality, working in a bar, rose up those ranks quickly. You very much seem like an, an extroverted people person and you mentioned people pleaser. So talk me through that, man, and how you go from starting and rising up the ranks to, you know, I, I'm assuming you got fired. Ex-bartender, it says there, you know, 11, <laughs> 11K. I'm, I'm sure you're not staying in your job what was that like and and i think you said before as well 7 months in jail 3 in rehab yeah yeah,
0: the, the job itself, dude, was absolutely amazing. I love the job. I was just a natural at it. Um, I'm a people person. I'm charismatic. I'm witty. I had all the, the ingredients to make a very good uh, hospitality guy. So that's what I was. And everything went really well there. Me and the owner got quite close. He was an amazing guy. He actually helped me buy my first house at, a, at a, an auction. Like He paid for it and I was just paying him. So that's why it was such a slap in the face to him for me to come back and steal all this money from him. But the thing about him was, is he knew what addiction looked like. He had family members who also went through it so he was not unfamiliar and funny enough he actually tried to help me he signed he was naive for a long time but he finally seen the warning signs that was something was up before i started stealing and he actually offered to pay for rehab for me and i remember telling him i was like raymond i'm gonna nip this in the butt myself that's how i was i'm like i got this brother i got this and i did get it for about 60 days i got clean on my own But the thing about that was is like I wasn't clean because I quit doing heroin. But what I found is I started drinking a lot like I was going to the bar and I was just getting straight whiskey and I was drinking and I was just getting blacked out and I was mean and I was miserable. And uh, of course, I reverted back to heroin again. And that's when everything started expediting. The fire happened. And that's when that thing went out of control. Funny story about how I got caught was on it was uh, the Friday before Memorial Day and that's a pub, uh, us holiday and that's in uh typically the end the last weekend of may and it was the friday of memorial day weekend there was a car wreck right in front of the restaurant i work at the car hit a telephone pole power went on and the re- power went out in the restaurant <laughs> and the power came back on wouldn't you know all the tickets i deleted to steal that money cuz what i was doing was like say you came in to eat and you paid me cash, your doll, your your tab was $60, I would go in the computer system, I would delete that ticket and I'd pocket the $60. That's how I was doing this. So oh. when that when power went out and it came back on, all the tickets I deleted came back. Oh no. And I rem- <laughs> and I remember I was uh, I was getting ready for work that day. So it was about 1 30. I'm at my house and I'm getting ready for work. And I remember my boss called me. I was like, Oh, I probably want some. So I answered, I was like, hey, what's up, man? And I just remember he's like, first thing he said, he's like, You've been stealing fucking money. I froze. I didn't know what to say because I was thinking about lying, but you know what? I think subconsciously I knew the jig was up and I think really, I just wanted it to be over. And I just said, yeah. And he just, that's all I said. Yeah. And he's like, you're fucking fired. Wow. Click. And right after that, I had about 19 bags of heroin left. And I sat there for a second on my floor, just like I was froze. I didn't know what to do. And, I remember thinking, I'm like, well, I tied my whole identity to this job. My identity was this job The the people I knew in my life, my circle, my surroundings were all wrapped up in this job. And at that point I thought my life was over. So my idea was nobody was home. My girlfriend wasn't going to be home for another two and a half hours. I'm like, okay, I put my dogs outside. I grabbed those 19 bags of heroin. I grabbed my gun. I had a Glock at the time and I went to my kitchen table and I dumped all those bags out on the kitchen table. And my plan was to snort every single one of those bags and then just kill myself. So I got to the very last bag. And literally, I shit you not, I got to the last bag and I was getting ready to load my gun. And wouldn't you know, I hear a knock on my door, which is odd because I lived on the outskirts of town. This isn't a walking place. You had to drive there. No one's knocking on my door ever. I hear my doorbell ring. I'm like, what the fuck? Are the cops here already to arrest me? You know what I mean? Like, cause I'm like, he's going to call the cops. And I look out the door and this girl that I used to work with her and I, and her, her parents worked there as well. We got really close and she was at my door because she heard what happened. She wanted to make sure I was all right. And she literally saved my life that day. Cause literally I was ready to load that gun and kill myself. And I wasn't going to let her in, but I didn't. I'm glad I did. And she came in there and she seen the gun and You know she sat there with me for literally four hours until my girlfriend got home and yeah it was just insane man it's just insane how that all transpired at the end
1: wow dude that is insane 11 bags 11 bags of heroin in 19 19 sorry wow dude that is what did you what was that conversation that four hours with her if you can recall it was a
0: lot it was a lot of crying to be honest for mm. me it was a lot of her just listening like she's just a great listener you know what I mean like she didn't need to say anything there was nothing that she was going to say that was going to be all right and I think she knew that yeah. I think she just wanted to be a presence there because I couldn't be alone and I shouldn't have been alone she knew that so literally it's a lot of me just crying and I guess just venting at my my misfortunes and my mistakes and what I had done like I had a really sweet thing going on I had I had an owner who was in my corner 100%. He would have he would have backed me on anything that I would have done. He bought me a house, he's loaned me money. One of the greatest guys I've ever met and thankfully I mended that bridge down the road, but you know, one of the greatest things he ever did for me was he pressed charges on me. At the time it hurt a lot, you know, but in the end it saved my life because I went to jail for what I did. Rightfully so. Like I deserved to go to jail for that. And that saved my life because When I got fired, you would have thought that I would have kind of cleaned my act up before I went to jail. Well, I didn't. I I really circled the drain for, I didn't get, so that was in May of 2016. I wouldn't go to jail until November of 2017. And for that almost year, I was circling the drain, man. I stole probably like $8,000 from my dad, stole from all my sisters, stole stuff from my stepmom who has passed away, pawned stuff off, ripped off all my drug dealers, And honestly, the November, right before I went to jail, I was planning on doing an armed robbery of a gas station to get money because I had had exhausted all money options. I had nothing left else. And I'm like, I'm going to rob this gas station. Thankfully, (laughs) through a, a series of divine intervention, if you will, I got arrested right before that and went to jail early because I was being a dummy. And that saved my life because literally, I might not be here talking to you right now had I robbed armed robbery. Of this yeah. gas station i might just be getting out of jail now i might have went to state you know what i mean so it all worked out for a reason i'm thankful it did but you know that that year after i got fired was really rough really rough on my family because they were really sheltered from my addiction because they never seen it because i was always at work but when i got fired i had to move back home with my dad and this is this is five months after he loses the love of his life the mother of his child and his son and he's got to deal with his oldest son stealing from him and Mm. wondering if he's gonna die you know what i mean so i'm putting all this extra stress on this guy who's just gone through so much so like it was a it was a tough time period
1: i bet man what what was the divine intervention that stopped you from from robbing that gas station you said you got arrested but was it yeah like (laughs) you obviously you've obviously been found guilty of of stealing this money from ironically the first chance in that's the name of the name of the bar. And restaurant. He
0: also he he also owns a bar that I lived across a cross from. That's called the Last Chance.
1: <laughs> there you go. Well, don't get a job there. Would be my recommendation. But
0: <laughs> uh, what what was but it? How, how did I get? How do I get caught? Is what you're going to ask? Yeah. So so I had been to the psych ward three times in 2017. And the first time my family put me in there because I sent them a bunch of like cryptic text messages, like I was going to kill myself, but I really wasn't going to. I just wanted attention. The second two times I went there is because I simply had nowhere else to go. Uh, the Psych Center was an all right place. They had nice. It was it was easy. It was low key. They let you smoke cigarettes there. They literally let you stay there for free. So it's a free three hots and a cot. Like they give you three meals. And they got a bed to sleep in. They let you smoke. So. The third time I went there was when I stole $2,000 from my dad in in the end of October. And that's when he kicked me out for good. Mm. Like he's like, yo, man, you're out of here. I'm like, shit, I have nowhere to go. So I went to the psych ward and I'm in there for a week and I'm getting ready in in the middle of that time you know, like I'm going through withdrawal on heroin. So my emotions are everywhere. And I feel really bad because I'm like, I love my dad. I love my dad to death. And I'm like, I just stole $2,000 from this guy. You know what I mean? Which not all the money I stole from him before, but this last time I, was like, I stole $2,000 from him. So I called him. I was like, dad, and like I'm crying. I'm like, I just want to say, I'm so fucking sorry. I love you so much. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah, I love you too. Where are you at? And I told him where I was at. And he called probation because I was on uh, interim probation. That's probation before you go to jail. Because I was already sentenced. I was supposed to go to jail in December. So this is November. And I called him and I told him where I was at. And the day I was supposed to get out of the psych ward, which I was going to rob this gas station then, uh, that was my plan. Get out of the psych ward, go rob this gas station, get drugs, overdose, die. That was my grand scheme. I was like, I don't want to face any of the the consequences to my actions. So I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to rob this gas station. I'm going to get all these drugs. I'm going to commit suicide. And, And I called my dad. He called probation. So the day I'm supposed to get out, they're like, oh, sir, we got to put you in this room before you leave. I'm like, huh? That's weird because I've been here two times before and I never got put in this room before I left. The reason they put me in there is because they're waiting for the cops to get there to come pick my ass up. Cops came and they put me to jail early. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And it's all because I called my dad and he narked on me, but he saved my life.
1: Wow. That's very cool. In terms of how it happened, some pretty, I'm sure, triggering things for maybe some people listening. For you now, just reflecting on it, I feel like it's been you know, six, almost probably seven years since that period. What What is it like reflecting on it? Because it seemingly, you say it so easily, like I was just going to, you know, go rob this bank, get this cash, OD on heroin and die. That's, you know, the end of a life and and now, which we'll come to talk about seemingly having such a positive impact on people's lives. That would have been a tragedy, bro. Yeah. What, yeah 100 percent. yeah
0: it would have been a tragedy man but i can talk about it so easily because as you i've, I've given this speech a billion times actually a, a few days ago i just got done wrapping up a two-day event at our local middle school where i i gave this whole story again of course i left out a lot of parts because i'm talking middle school kids and parents but they have a thing called the reality tour and what essentially that is it's like uh I don't know if you've ever heard do you guys have prom in Australia? Like, you know what prom promises? They they put the car out there and they say, hey, this is what happens if you drink and drive. And they do the caricature of the the girl in a prom dress getting hit by a drunk driver and stuff.
1: Well, wow. no, we I don't yeah. think we will certainly didn't have that when I was in high school, but yeah, I understand well, they, the they, idea. They
0: they they do it in our high school to kind of scare you straight. Well, the reality towards the drug version of this, so the parents and children in middle school. They sign up for this event. They come into school. So they basically do a role play of what happens when people do drugs. They have the paramedics there. They say, oh, this person overdosed. They try to bring them back. Even so far as going in, they have a casket there as well from the funeral director and say, hey, that person didn't make it. This is what, ha- this is what happens. And at the end of it, they have a presentation with law enforcement. So our local district attorneys there, the sheriff's there, and uh, a detective's there. And they get their feel on the law enforcement side of addiction. And then I go up there and speak and give the, my perspective from a recovering addicts uh, perspective. So like I go up there and I give speeches, you know, and I've done these probably a half a dozen, dozen times. I've been really pressing the gas on them because they're powerful, man. I know the most powerful thing for me when I was in rehab was having those recovering addicts come in and tell their story to me. And I see where they're at in life now. And that gave me so much hope and inspiration. Like, Holy shit, dude, I hear their story. I'm like, and you're doing what now in life? You're doing (laughs) good. So, I'm like, this is powerful. And I always say like, I'm not, when I look back through my life and I reflect through just like the last 10 years, like there's a lot of times I should have been dead. A lot of times I should have been dead and I'm not. And I always think about that. And I'm not a huge, big religious person, but I am. And I'm like, there's gotta be a reason for that. You know what I mean? Like I, I couldn't have made it through everything that I made it through to not do something with this story. So I'm like, there's gotta be some person I can help. And even if I could just save one person, from this story, you know what I mean? So somebody can relate, which I know is a lot more because every time I put this story on Twitter, I put the tweet that you're referencing on Twitter, I get a half a dozen, dozen DMs from people saying, yo, I'm going through the same thing. Yo, my cousin's going through this. Yo, my brother's going through this. A lot of people are going through this shit. So it would be a shame at the time where drug overdose deaths toppled the deaths last year. No one talks about that, of number one uh, causation of death. It would be a shame if I didn't tell my success story to people because it's a powerful story, man. And I could talk about it so freely because seven years feels like a lifetime ago. Everything that I did feels like, dude, it feels like 20 years ago. Mm. Because I'm such a different, I'm such a different person today. People think it's insane when I go that restaurant that I stole from the first chance. I go there and have dinner all the time. He's offered me my job back and I laughed. I was like, "Nah, man, I'm good." You know what I mean? Like we are friends. Yeah. Like this happened. I paid the money back. I paid my fines. I paid my due to society. Like that's all done. You know what I mean? What else do you want from me? I'm just here living my life and I've done a 180 and people see that. You know what I mean?
1: It's impressive, man. Well done and it's kudos kudos to you. I would love to know the 7 months you spent in prison. What was that Sucked like? Ass. Sucked ass? <laughs> Sucked ass <laughs> Talk me talk me through ashamed. that Yeah Hopefully, hopefully you didn't that. have to suck ass Literally in prison I di-
0: Thank <laughs> gosh I didn't have to do that man I'll tell you what dude I'm not ashamed to admit that The first week of jail dude I cried like every day it was the most, it was the, the, the most horrible experience I've ever been through. You lose your freedom. It's absolutely horrible. It's demeaning. You got to go in there. The first thing you do, they take all your clothes. You got to squat cloth. You got to show your balls in front of some other guy. Like the whole process is demeaning. They have no doors on the bathroom. There's only two options on the shower, really hot, really cold. It's just a culture shock, man. And it took me about a month, like literally every day I would get up and I would just walk. Um, in a straight like back and forth like they had this like a, it was probably like 20 20 yards like a straight thing in a hallway like i would walk that back and forth all day long i walked it so much that i they gave you crocs to wear i wore out a hole in my crocs within three weeks because i walked so much i was probably putting on like 30 40 000 steps a day because all i was doing was walking inside my head like where what the fuck do i do and um After that month, like I started getting acclimated, you know, I started talking to people and I got a job in the kitchen there, which was really good because I needed that. And it was good because I'm used to food service and that's what we were doing in their food service. We were preparing the food for the inmates to go out. So that gave me a purpose for that job. It gave me a purpose for my stay in there. I didn't even you're making two dollars a day. I give a shit less about the two dollars. I just needed something to do. And then that's when I got the idea. Again, there's a bunch of people on my block who were working out every day and I'm like, shit. I was always a physically fit person. I lifted in high school. I played sports in high school. Like I was always that guy athletic. So getting back into fitness was second nature to me. And I just remember going up to the one guy one day. I was like, yo man, can I join you? He's like, hell yeah. So that's when it sparked in me again. Like I'm working in the kitchen. I'm starting to work out in jail and it gave me purpose. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I figured out like, oh, this is what's going to make me feel good. Because like, you can be, you're depressed as shit in jail. There's nothing to do. You know what I mean. And when I worked out, I actually felt good. I was sleeping better. I felt a sense of purpose. I was happier. I wasn't as depressed. So I was like, I need to press the gas on this again. And that's exactly what I did, man. So for the next seven, six months, you know, like I was pressing the gas on health and fitness in the gym. You know, I wasn't eating the food that they were giving us in the jail. They have commissary in there where you can order off there, dude. I was ordering like a hundred things of tuna off the commissary every week in sardines and just eating the protein. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, I want to be, you know, when I got out of jail, man, I wish I would've got a picture of that dude. Cause I was probably like less body fat than I am now. I was probably like 7% body fat dude and just shredded because like all I was eating is tuna and sardines. You know what I mean? Wow. And, uh, but it was the best learning experience in the sense of, I knew one thing for certain. I was like, whatever I do in life, I never, ever, ever want to lose my freedom again because The little things that I took for granted in life, like something as simply as going to the bathroom in my own home, like something that simple or adjusting the shower nozzle, like something like that. I was like, wow, there's so many things that I took for granted in my life that I'm like, I, I need to change something here, man. So I always say that a lot of addicts don't get recommended to go to jail, but I'll tell you what, without that jail sentence, I don't know if I would be where I'm at today. Because if I would have just got sentenced to the ninety days in rehab, I don't think that would have been impactful to me. Because I needed, I needed that perspective shift. I needed to know and, and face the consequences to what I had done. And that seven months in jail was perfect for that. And it really set me up for success going in the rehab. I, I pressed the gas on health and fitness. Funny enough, when I went to rehab after that, because that was court ordered, um, I was working out three times a day because they had a gym there. So I'd wake up in the morning, and I would do body weight exercises in our dorm. Midday, I would go for a run around the, the yard, and at night, I'd go to the weight room. And I remember my, my counselor pulled me into her office one day, and she's like, Alex, come here. And I was like, okay. And I come in there, and she gives me this pamphlet, and it's, it's titled Cross Addiction. And I'm like, Shannon, what's this? She's like, I think you have another addiction. I was like, what? And she's like, exercise. And I laughed in her face. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that this addiction is better than heroin so i think i'm going to press the gas on it (laughs) i was like what do you want me to like what do you want me to do like and and that's where i learned like that energy and and it kind of goes back to what i was talking about when i quit heroin on my own for 60 days and started drinking a lot that's when i learned the lesson of you know energy cannot be created nor destroyed and if you have an addiction or anything like and you get rid of it that energy is going to go somewhere And if you don't place it somewhere positive, it's just going to bring you down. That's why you see like alcoholics will quit alcohol. They'll start gambling or drug addicts will start gambling or they'll become a sex addict or a porn addict or whatever it is. They're going to divert that energy into something that makes them feel good because at the end of the day, all addiction is is an addiction to dopamine. So I get my dopamine from exercise. Yeah. That's what I like. That's what I like. So. I have not, uh, uh, despite what Shannon said, and shout out, Shannon, because I love that woman. Even though she wasn't an addict, I always gave her shit for that because she only had a four-year degree. And I'm like, you don't freaking know what it's like, Shannon. You went to college for four years to learn about this. Like, I learned this the hard way. Yeah. But shout out to her because she tried her best. But uh, yeah, Shannon, I have not stopped pressing the gas on that exercise addiction. I'm doing quite fine.
1: Dude, pressing the gas. That was powerful, man. Thank you so much. There's so many things I would love to love to i don't know pick apart in in you sharing that prison experience you know even just from the idea of yeah not being able to change the shower nozzle super hot mm-hmm. super cold did you go the super cold option
0: by the way no no had <laughs> i known what i know now i would have but it was only super hot dude and you you just try to what we did in there a lot is what we called bird baths and it's like you just fill up the sink and you get your washcloth and you just like you know you wash yourself like that dude, because the water is just miserable man you know it's just yeah. horrible and so it was just a bird bath a lot.
1: Goodness. Well, I was I was curious to know from that. Did you know it was a 7 month sentence at the time or did you get out at you know an earlier time for I don't know good behavior or yeah, what was that timing like? It
0: was su- it was supposed to be 6 months. 6 months to 24 months less a day. And the reason for less a day is cuz if it was over a day, it would technically be called a state prison sentence. So I was in county jail. That's a lower tier. And then they have state prison. So that's just the way they do the sentencing in America. But uh, it was seven months because like I said, my dad called the cops on me. I went to jail a month early. Mm. So that's why it was seven months. I literally got out the day. So if it would have been six months, I would literally would have got out on my exact six six month day because I, I had perfect no, no incidents in jail at all because I was, dude, I didn't talk to anybody. I started no fights. I wanted no, no trouble. I wanted to get in there. I wanted to get the fuck out. Um, there's a lot of people who fought in there and shit, dude. I wanted no part of that. I was in no drama. I kept my head low. I went to work. I worked out. That was it. I wanted to get in. I wanted to get out and that was fucking it.
1: Well done, man. It seems like it was obviously a big, a big turning point. You you said you had three months of rehab after when you got out. Yep. Talk to me through what rehab was like. Curious to know.
0: For the most part, I have a huge problem with the the rehabilitation the the cycle in America because it's highly predicated on like the the twelve steps of Narcotics Anonymous, which are great steps. I will say Narcotics Anonymous is a big part of my story after rehab, but. What they don't touch on is the biggest part of addiction, which is like, what are you going to do to combat this? They always try to talk about like talk about your feelings. And what I know now is like, again, it's a dopamine addiction. If you mm-hmm. don't exert that somewhere like exercise, like eating right and exercising is going to be your ticket to a better life, setting goals for yourself, like having those ambitions for yourself. You know, and at the time, like the the classes and stuff, they were all right. I learned more from the people who were in rehab than the classes themselves my my roommate at the time guy named todd great freaking guy you know what i mean he was that was his 10th rehab he was in and, and he came from a highly affluent family his family has a steel company that's on the nasdaq like he is worth money but he has an alcohol problem this is his 10th rehab they disowned him he used to drink his, his girlfriend's perfume to get drunk i was mind blown by that i was like jeez i thought i had a problem you're drinking perfume that's fucking nuts <laughs> that's fucked and uh but I learned so much from Todd. We always joked around and said, Todd, you're the Frankenstein rehab because he he had so much experience that he had so much tidbits of knowledge that he shared with me, dude. But he always sh- he shared this one thing with me that I'll never forget because he's seen something inside of me that i never seen to myself. And he's like, Alex, I s- like I see who you are, man. You are a top player. You're a top dog. The cream always rises to the top, brother. You know what I mean? you are going to do great things in this life if you fucking keep your head down you fucking grind and i'll never forget that and we lost contact after rehab and i remember calling his sister i found her number about two years ago and i that's how he gave me the con he's like when you get out of rehab call my sister in a month because that's when i'll get out and then i'll get a hold of you and he did and then i didn't hear from him for a while and i remember i i was moving and i I found that number from his sister and i called her i was like hey you might not remember i had met her before I was like, you might not remember me. And she's like, oh yeah, I remember you. I was like, hey, I just wanted to know I lost contact with your brother. How's she doing? She's like, killed himself. I was like, fuck. You know what I mean? Like that was my homie. And then that's, it's just, it put everything into perspective that it's not for everybody. And that's the sad reality is, is like, recovery is not for everybody. The vast majority of people aren't going to recover. And that's the sad part. You could have all the knowledge in the world. Todd was so fucking smart, so fucking smart. But he didn't apply anything that he learned. And that was just another lesson in my recovery. I was like, fuck, man, I need to do this shit. months. like, that could be me. You know, who's to say it's not? So yeah, it was wow. a lesson, man. But, but the recovery process, man, you know, I did my 90 days. And just like jail, dude, I did my 90 days. And on my 90th day, bam, out the door I was. And then, that's when, as we say, the rubber hits the road, you know, because you're in a controlled environment in jail and rehab. Like there's no temptation of drugs and shit because it's not there. But when the rubber hits the road and you get out in the real world and you get that cell phone back and those people are back and you move back to the same place you used to live at, then that's when the real tests come and the test came, man. But, you know, it was a lot of adversity and it was a lot of grinding and uh, a lot of proving myself, man. And there's a lot of times I wanted to give up and I don't know why I didn't give up looking back on it. I was reflecting about this at the, the talk I gave the other day and somebody's like, do you ever feel like you wanted to give up? And I'm like, every fucking day for that first year. Every fucking day, man, I have three felonies on my record. I was like, I thought everybody's looking at me. I thought I was never going to get a good job again in my life. Mm. Like, fuck, it was a grind, man. Like it was, it was, it sucked. But that suck made me who I am today. A lot of stuff that happens in my life today that a lot of people would like really get down about. It doesn't even fucking affect me because I'm like, I've been in some shit, man. You know what I mean? I've been at the bottom of the barrel. This shit doesn't phase me. This is nothing. You know what I mean? So it really taught me a lesson. Like all that time period of my life was the biggest blessing I could ever got because a majority of people would balk at the the stress in life today. And I'm just like, let's move forward, baby.
1: Absolutely, man. Let's move forward. It's It, it would have been, yeah, one of the hardest periods. I feel, like you said, you think people are looking at you or, or thinking of you in a certain way what did you do in that first yeah year to get through that period? Were there any practices that helped you stay the course? Did you, did you, you know, have you been clean since then? I'm curious to know that as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've been clean since then. God willing, man. So funny thing, when I got a rehab, my dad wouldn't let me move back in with him. <laughs> Rightfully so. I had stole $8,000 from him. He didn't believe that I was really changed and I don't blame him. I told him many times that I was a changed man. So I had to move in with my mom, which was a shitty situation because she doesn't live in a very nice house and it's very dirty and she's an alcoholic and it's just a toxic environment. But it's what I had to do. It's what I had to do. So I moved back in there and I got a job, literally making minimum wage is like seven fifty. dollars So I literally go from making a shit ton of money before to making jack shit now. Killed my confidence. I'm in the fucking gutter. I live in a shithole house. I have no money. I have nothing and I'm just climbing back, man. And, and I went for three months and in the course of three to four months, dude, I had four different jobs. And the reason for that is I literally got a better job each time I kept. So I get a new job and I'm like, I'm still looking like I never stopped searching for jobs. I get a good job. And then like three weeks later, somebody else would hire me. And I quit that job. and I go to the next one. And then I quit that job and go to the next one. Dude, I was rising the ranks. Uh-huh. And my dad seen that. And I remember asking one day, I was like, dad, I'm fucking grinding here. I've been living with my mom. This shit's horrible. Will you please take me back? I'm telling you. I'm telling you things change. And he made me the deal. He's like, you pay me 200 bucks a month in rent, and I'll let you stay here. I'm like, fucking done. Done. And I went back and lived with him, man. And I still kept climbing those ranks, man. And uh, with each job that I got, new job that I got, my confidence grew more. Because I always said, I was like, you know what? Every job application you get, they ask you, do you have a criminal record? I'm like, fuck. I was like, yes. And I got to write all my shit down there. You know what I mean? And at the end of every time on those things where it says, do you have a criminal record? At the end of it, after I put all my shit, I said, please just talk to me. I know I can change your mind. Because I know they look down on that. You know, there's felonies on there. Sure. And every time those people talk to me, I was like, if I can just get these, these HR managers in front of me, I will fucking change their mind. And I did. Because they seen who i was they seen how i was talking they seen how much conviction i had in becoming a new person even more so than that the last job i had was in a factory so i went in there as a general laborer and within eight months i was a, a team lead on my ship i know jack shit about powdered metal man but what they seen is a guy who was a go-getter a guy who wasn't bitching about what he had to do a guy who was picking up a fucking broom and sweeping when he didn't have to like i was just proving myself and i had everything to prove everybody hated me around work because they thought i was a try hard like motherfucker i have to i have to like i have shit on my record and within another year i was a second shift supervisor like high up on the totem pole supervising 30 people on my ship i know jack shit about <sighs> powder metal jack shit but you know what i knew i knew I got in front of those people and I told them exactly that. And I was like, I'm not afraid to admit that I don't know what to do. And I'm a good, I can lead people and I'm a motivator. And I was all those things and they put their faith in me and let me run with it. And I got that job. So now I'm making more money at this job than I was ever making at the bartending managing job. Mm. And it was amazing, dude. And that's when I really realized like, fuck, that's when I had like peak confidence. I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, fuck that criminal record fuck that kind of record. i don't give a sh- i don't give a shit about it anymore and then that's when literally that that uh insecurity dissolved away man i'm like i don't give a shit about that thing if anything if anything it plays into my advantage you know what i mean because you see that criminal record and then you see me and you talk to me and you think oh i'm gonna talk to this guy with this criminal record he's just gonna be a straight idiot and then i come in and i talk to you and they're like holy fuck this guy ain't an idiot at all not to talk toot my own horn but i'm gonna toot that sucker like i'm not an idiot you absolutely, know what I absolutely mean? bro you, People seen that
1: you've got to toot it, otherwise, you know who's going to toot it for you? I think it's
0: Exa- exactly.
1: Yeah, if you're not willing to 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 pump your own self up when when it's warranted, and obviously it is in your case in in terms of what you've been able to do since that, were there any other things that you were doing at that time? Like I see that you've got a bookshelf there behind you. I, uh, I can't make yeah. out any of the titles because it's a little bit little bit far away, but it potentially can can recognize some, but. Were there any uh, things like that, you know, did you get into that sort of personal development, self-help mm-hmm. sort of sphere in this year? Because all of this stuff that you're talking about, what's that book so, you just put out? Yeah, please. I read,
0: this, I read this book here and it changed my life in jail. It's called Fearless by Eric Belm. Okay. I'll give you the quick gist about what it is. It touched me so bad. So I read this book in jail and- the reason it hit me so hard, so it's about a guy, and he had a similar story to mine. He grows up. He's he's a life of a party. He's having a good time. He's from uh, he's from Arkansas, and his friends are getting ready to go to college, but he doesn't know what the fuck he wants to do. You know what I mean? His dad owns a heating and cooling place. He's like, you know what? All my friends are going to college. I'm just going to work for my dad. The guy gets a girlfriend. She's an unsavory woman. She gets him addicted to crack cocaine. So now he's a crack cocaine addict. So now he's, he's scraping the barrel for three or four years, similar to me. And then he has to start stealing money. So he's a thief. He's stealing all this money. All his family do is doing is trying to help this guy try to get clean. And, you know, he gets clean for a little bit. Then he fucks up again, gets, gets clean again, again, fucks up a little bit. So comes to the end of the story where he talks to one of his friends. And his friend is actually in the Navy. He's a pilot in the Navy. And his dad is the admiral of that section of the country down in where they're from in, in Arkansas. He's like, you know what? I think the only thing that is going to save me is becoming a Navy SEAL. So this dude's a crackhead, he's like, you know what, the only thing that's gonna save me is becoming a Navy SEAL. And everybody's like, you're fucking nuts. You're not becoming a Navy SEAL. Well, wouldn't you know, this motherfucker becomes a Navy SEAL. He goes through the adversity of Hell Week, becomes a Navy SEAL, changes his fucking life. And in the course of being a Navy SEAL, this guy goes through so much fucking adversity, it's insane. I'm not going to go into detail about what happens to him, but he deals with roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. He leans on his faith. He leans on his wife. And he just leans on this power of nothing will ever be as bad as being a fucking crackhead. And then he's trying to get on SEAL Team 6, the most elite SEAL team. He gets on it. Wow. he goes to Afghanistan he's on a, a mission one night and unfortunately he passed away from his injuries that night he got shot. So I read that book and even more so, this is the most powerful part. I'm starting to get chills even thinking about it. So I'm at the end of the book and it's kind of the author talking you know he, he has told Adam's whole story that's the guy's name Adam Brown. He has told Adam's whole story and at the end he's kind of talking about meeting the author's talking about meeting Adam's family and Adam's family's trying to decide who is going to write Adam's story. And they they tell the author, you know, they're like, I think you're a really good fit. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about this. And we want to let you know, like the biggest thing about Adam, his favorite number is 23. I don't know why they sprinkled that in there, but they did. And the author's like, I went back to my hotel room that night, and you know what my room number was? 2323. And wouldn't you know I looked down at my jail bag and what the fuck number is my jail bag? 23. And wow chills man chills i'm getting chills um, dude and i looked at that in that book and I, I i've re i've reread it seven eight nine times dude but just his story gives me so much power because like it i relate to it the guy went through so much fucking shit in mm-hmm. adversity and he just had this unwavering faith in his in his god his family and everything that he could push through and i read that man i was like i can fucking do this man so reading books that was a huge crutch for me. A lot of personal development is like diving into every fucking book I can get my hands on. That's one thing jail was good for is like you, you you have nothing but time. So I was reading a lot when I when I first got out of jail is Narcotics Anonymous. Like that was a big crutch, you know. Like and if you don't know what that is, just a, a bunch of people come together, talk about their addictions. But what that taught me is there's there's people living a different life. There's a possibility of me living a different life, and I can do it without drugs and alcohol. And I found that and I needed that the first one to three years of being sober because without it, I would have fell back into my old friends who are still doing unsavory things and old connections and it would have been bad. So I, I owe my, I owe everything to the books that I've read and the connections that I made who were people who are sober. Mm-hmm. So I'm thankful for all that.
1: Yeah, man, well done. I think it, it really talks to, in, in you sharing that, that story ultimately fearless, Sharing your story can have such a positive impact on others. And, you know, you mentioned as well before that first year feeling like at times that people are looking at you or feeling unsure about yourself because you were this guy who's come out of prison and you're obviously still finding your way. But it's one thing I've noticed throughout doing this podcast, you know, 120 odd episodes now. When people share their stories with others, it can light up in so many different ways and you don't know what things gonna spark. You know, books are obviously something that have lasted for, for years and years, you know, whereas podcasting is this new thing, sharing stories. Mm. You you clearly do it as well. You know, you mentioned speaking in middle school, you know, just this past week. I'm sure you've done, mm. you know, more and we'll do more in the future. But you've also got your own podcast, Reject Mediocrity, which is a really cool idea. Reject Mediocrity, this idea of, you know, being average as the idea... Mm that, you know, you can rise up to be more, where did that first spark in you? Because I feel like you could maybe share more about all of the other books, but ultimately what has it given you this idea of, you know, reading other people's stories, but then being able to champion your own to help others?
0: Yeah, the the name reject mediocrity is something that I really just fell on because that was like the key these past six seven years, man. Because I realized for myself, if I'm not pushing for something, if I'm not trying to grab something forward, I'm just regressing in life, and then that's when the negative things come into my life, and I'm trying to do bad things. So the the whole premise of the reject mediocrity, and even more so bringing that to a podcast of life, is because I love to talk to people. So it's almost like bringing the barroom conversation that I was having at work onto a podcast platform. I love to talk to people. I love to hear people's success stories. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted, I wanted them to fill my cup. You know what I mean? I wanted to hear that that badass story. And I wanted him, I wanted to feed off of him and his successes. Like some of my favorite books, David Goggins's books, both his books and Cam Haynes' books, like they've had horrible lives. But every time I read their books, dude, I get so amped. And I'm like, I want, I want that feeling all the time. And I want to talk to people. Because when I hear other people's stories, it gives me more insight, and it gives me more understanding, and it doesn't make me as narrow-minded. So I just wanted to press the gas on that more, man, and just I wanted more connection. I wanted to hear more people. I wanted to hear more people who were getting after it, and that was just another thing to suck up my time because at the end of the day, you know, uh, idle hands are work for the devil. That's a nice cliche that people say all the time, and that's rightfully true for addicts as well. If you're not keeping busy with something, what are you doing? you're you're up here and if you're up here in your mind all the time bad things are going to happen because i can tell you this the worst in, the worst influence in my life is me if i'm in my head too long i can convince myself that anything's all right you know <laughs> what i mean given enough to given enough time i can i can skew that to oh it'll be all right we can do that. You know what I mean? Like you could really drive yourself in the ditch. So if I don't hear these stories from people, and that even had to be addiction stories. I talked to a majority of the people I talked to aren't even addicts. And I've even had some people come on who I didn't think were addicts and they drop it on me that they were. I'm like, holy shit. Huh. I did not know that. They just, don't, they just don't talk about it, you know, which is cool. But it just, it just gives me this insight, man. So like the biggest thing for me is keeping busy, which is why I was working out three times a day in rehab. I wanted to keep busy. I needed something to do. And now like my day is like, Today is Sunday, Monday for you, Sunday for me. Like I was working all morning. I had shit to do. It's no days off. We're just rolling with it. Yeah. That's when I'm the happiest. That's when I'm the most fulfilled when I'm, I'm constantly doing something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's completely, I think, yeah, the the way to go. Cause you're right. That cliche, if you're not, if you're not, you're going to find, yeah, other things to do. And like you've touched on mm-hmm. that energy is not going away. It doesn't just turn off cause it's mm-hmm. a Sunday. You know because it's saturday the days are arbitrary we could you could wake up tomorrow Mm -hmm. it's still it's just another day right yeah if you if you have this sort of that memory wiped of what this arbitrary seven day period that we've all been indoctrinated into i i saw a tweet i think you did in like the last 24 hours where you sort of said plan the week on sunday in order to build momentum through the week I love that. I, I do it often myself, try to, you know, get as much done as I can on Sunday so I can start Monday and hit the ground mm-hmm. running. But I would love for you to, yeah, explain that process, what it looks like. Like I think it's coming up to, yeah, 3 p.m. there now for you. Have you already planned your week in that sort of morning work mm-hmm. that you've done or is it something you, you leave later in, in your day on a Sunday? No,
0: nope, very first thing I whack out. When I'm fresh, that's when I'm the freshest. The biggest thing for me is realizing when you're the most – when you can do the activities the most in your day. So for me, like I'm the most creative in the morning. That's when I'm the most energized. That's when I'm ready to go. So I just crank that out first thing in the morning. And the reason I do this is just living live in the weeks out with intention. I want my my actions to line up with what I want to do in life. So when I have a clear goal of that, when I have a clear roadmap, the way I always like to put this is, so imagine where's the city that's really far from you. So you live in Melbourne, name a city that's, is is Sydney close to you?
1: It's about uh, a nine hour drive. So not super close.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. It's probably complicated to get there driving wise, right?
1: Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. Would would you
0: drive to Sydney without a GPS?
1: Look, you you could, you could. Yes. But you could, but it's going to be difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah. It's going to be very difficult, and
1: that's how you can view
0: your week. If you don't plan your week out, you're essentially driving to Sydney without a GPS. If you want to get to Sydney the easiest and fastest way you could, you're going to plug it into your phone, and you're going to get your GPS. That's the same thing with planning out your week. You're living your weeks out with intention. You know what's going on. You have your goals. So Whatever they are, they could be a month goal, six month, nine month, five year, whatever it is. Break it down and then pie it out throughout your week. And once you do that, you're going to have a clear vision. You got to think about it this way is your mental, your mental fortitude, not your mental fortitude, but you can almost think of your energy, your motivation, like a muscle, it's going to fatigue. And the more stuff you can do to make sure it doesn't fatigue, the better. So this is why you see famous people like Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. They wear the same thing every single day. And there's a reason for that. They don't want to get decision fatigue. They don't want to have to make too many decisions in a day. So if I can spend one hour planning out my whole week, That's energy spent, one hour, that's it. If I didn't do that, I would spend 30 minutes to an hour every day of the week, seven hours in a week, figuring out what the hell am I gonna do today? Mm. You know what I mean? I don't fucking know. So if (laughs) I just take that one hour, I I plan out that week, bam, I'm getting so much more done. And even more so than that, it's more of a mindset thing as well because I feel so much more ready to go. Like you said, you hit the ground running, you know what you're going to do, it's not a guessing game. It's like meal planning your food. If you know what you're going to eat, it's going to be considerably easier to hit your goals opposed to just going to the fridge every day being like, huh, what do I want to eat? It's just easier that way. And once you get in the habit of that, it's just – it's systematic, baby. You're just churning. You're burning. You're hitting your goals. And with hitting your goals, you're building momentum. With momentum, you're getting more. It's just like this status thing internally. You're trying to pump yourself up the most that you possibly can. The easiest way to do that is just knowing what the hell you want to do.
1: Love it, man. So then in planning your week for the hour, could you go into detail? And I don't know if you're willing or, or open to sharing what this coming week is going to look like. You've, you've obviously already planned it. But yeah, if, if you can explain some granular detail, because just from a curiosity point of view, well, like I've done this, but I'm sure other people listening would also love to love to hear what exactly it looks like.
0: Yeah, and this week was interesting because I have a little uh, little monkey wrench I was thrown into it because I'm traveling to Florida here on Tuesday, so I'm going to be out of – out of my home and my comfort of my office and everything. So I'm gonna be traveling for about, be down there for six days. But nonetheless, I still planned everything out. What I wanna do, I planned out the tasks that I wanna do in the airport. It may seem uh, monotonous to most people, but I'm going to clean up and file my photos on my phone, delete a bunch of them and transfer a bunch more onto my computer and put them in the proper files. Reason for that is it's gonna save me so much time on the next Sunday when I go to do content, I don't have to look for all these pictures in my phone and transfer them to my computer it's already going to be done. So nice. I can do content, bam, breezy fast. So what I do is I set one major goal, one major goal. So I work a full-time job. I'm a personal trainer with default King. So I'm mm-hmm. a personal trainer there. So that takes up eight hours of my time. I dedicate three to four hours a day on my own projects as well. So I'm a personal trainer for myself as well. So I have my own clients right now. I'm planning on shipping a new offer. My big thing is I want to coach guys on sustainable lifelong habits while they lose weight. So what I want to do is each day, I like, I'm spending one hour on crafting this offer. And by the end of the seven days, by Sunday, it's going to be ready to ship because I'm going to spend one hour a day each day Mm -hmm. on shipping this offer. That's my plan. And then of course I schedule in there uh, times to go on Twitter. That's been a big thing with me lately is trying to, and I'm not perfect at this. I'm getting much better though, is really centering town my focus. I really want to be intentional with my time. You may be able to relate to this, this little thing we have here called a cell phone, very easy to get lost in what they call the doom scroll. So I want to get very much more intentional with my time and really set time barriers to when I get on Twitter and engage, because I find that one, I enjoy the content more two, I retain more of it. And it's a way better user experience. If I narrow down those times and just say, you know what, between 8am and 9am, that's going to be engagement time on Twitter. Between 5 p.m. and 6 p.m., that's my second hour of engagement on Twitter. Bam, done. That's it. One, I'm going to get so much more done. Two, I'm not going to waste my time just doom scrolling on nothing. So that and the biggest thing I like to do as well, and this doesn't come into weekly planning, but this comes into nightly as well because I set these big goals for the week. This is what I want to accomplish. I break it down for the week. And then even more so than that, every night I go down and I brain dump and I journal and I just write down my schedule for the next day between eight and nine, you know, I'm going to be on Twitter. And then like nine to 12 is my work block for default Kings and so on and so forth. But the night before I also plan out my meals because I don't traditionally meal prep. I don't cook all my seven meals like today, Mm -hmm. but I do buy all the food. And then I just write down like, Oh, here's meal one, Uh, 16 ounces of kefir, six eggs, two pieces of bread. Bam. I write down all that. I write down what time I'm going to take my supplements. And Dude, it's just, it's a mindset thing because now it's no guessing. I know exactly what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do it. Things click. The more efficient I am, the better I feel.
1: Mm-hmm. It's great, man. Thank you for sharing that. And, and yeah, especially in a week where you're going and, you go and changing up the routine down to Florida, it's interesting how, I guess, meticulous you are. And I can definitely resonate with the doom scrolling Twitter Instagram personally I'm not on TikTok but I'm sure people listening you know it's, have doom scrolled on that plenty of times it's it's all just a muscle and it can it can be something that is so good but then when you slip out of it I know for me just in this you know first 3 months of the year I've let a few things drop that I I feel like I hold myself to some pretty high standards but I was going you know a week an episode a week on the podcast for the last i think it was close to 47 weeks you know i'm on episode 120 odd now but i missed Which one is a week huge a accomplishment. thank you man thank you very much especially yeah coming from you someone you know yeah how much effort goes into you know putting even just one episode out mm. but i missed the week of of shipping an episode each week mm. right and you know personally i was like yeah fuck it's it's not great but I think the most important thing is just getting back on, on the wagon and not letting the new streak of not shipping being the thing that then starts to accumulate. And so I did revert that and, you know, obviously proud of myself of that. But it wasn't like, you know, the world wasn't ending. No one was calling me going, hey, where the fuck's this next episode coming from? But I think holding yourself to those high standards and having those key things that, you know, m- measure. And, and it's, it's one week, you know, but... I really think that it's, it's a mark of where I want to be with this podcast and it mm. then filters down through all of my life. And I looked at it and I was like, all right, well, what's the problem that I'm running into here? And it was ultimately just not scheduling enough guests. Mm. And then I'm like, all right, well, why not? Well, because I'm not outreaching to enough. Like it's quite simple when you just start from yep. where you want to be and work backwards. So then it was like, all yep. right, well, this is what I need to do. And I just started firing you know, two invites a day, real simple, but drop the considerations on the guests because I was like, well, I haven't spoken to this person too much. And if I just cold DM them, they might not want to come on and it might be a bit fucking weird. You're one of those people, dude. right? And we're having this chat now. It's like, I followed this guy for six months, but we've never really engaged, never sent him a DM. Like he'll probably just think I'm some, some fuckwit. Australian but at the same time it's like bro you know what it's like as as a podcaster Mm -hmm. I'm sure you might just be you know oh I see this cool thing from this person I'd love to have a conversation with them just because we've never met in person doesn't mean and this goes to show we've talked now for an hour and 10 minutes so all of that is context for me and and my process I would love to know for you when you feel and if you feel but I'm I'm almost certain that you would have felt it at some points because it's not this just ever, never ending, you know, trajectory of getting better, right? When you feel down or in certain moments where you maybe feel like you're losing momentum or the energy is depleting, what do you do to maintain that or to to get it back going in the right direction?
0: Before I answer that, I just want to say the reason I answer your DM, you must have commented on some of my tweets in the past dude you have a very unique name i remember that and that's why i did and that's the power of like sending these random comments out some of the guests i've gotten on my podcast man like i just shoot my shot i I dm with them i jive with them on a timeline they don't even answer sometimes i send them a dm and like yeah man you know what i mean so like that's why i said yeah i was like hell yeah funny thing about the podcast as well on mine like you're kind of talking about like evaluating your decisions like i had to evaluate my decision on my podcast as well like i'm taking a break from it right now because Mm. It was a hard decision, but it came down on a chopping block of like, I don't have, what, where am I going to put my energy at? Like, what do I want to do? Oh, I want to coach more people. You know why? Because I want them to be healthier. I want that to spring out to more people. And of course, also, I want to make money. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So like, that's, a, it's naive to think I don't, but I was like, this, this podcast is just taking too much energy out and it's not moving me forward to my goal. Is that saying I'm never going to do it again? Well, hell no. I want to do it. I loved it. It's just right now in my life, I don't have the time to dedicate to the podcast. I'm like, it's a hard decision, but at the same time, like, because I set a goal for myself, like, you can't even think about quitting till 100 episodes, Alex. Like, that was my goal, (laughs) and it was hard to come to terms and be like, yo, I have to reconsider that now, and it was hard to come over that because I'm like, I made a promise, but then I'm like, this is serving you – no, it's not serving anybody well to do something – that is not serving you. So I'm like, I just need to put this on the back burner right now because it's just, it's just not there. Totally. And to answer your, and to answer your question right now, like, dude, I experience this all the time. I'm not a perfect human being over here. You know what I mean? Like, I'm going through a lot of adversity, and even more so right now. Like, I, I didn't have the greatest weekend last week. Uh, last week, uh, two weeks ago, you know, I've been traveling a lot. Mm. Uh, the past two months, like, I went to, I went to Florida for ten days. I went to Houston for four. Like, all that traveling threw me off, man, off diet was off i had a little alcohol here and there yeah. um it just really threw my mindset off man and it was just kind of messing with me and like this past weekend i got back on the horse again i'm like all right alex we got to brush all this away we need to get back on it i've had the best week ever this week just yes. chipping away cuz you know why it's it's no magic formula i got i i went back to the fundamentals I cut everything out. I cut all the fat off. I'm like, let's schedule everything again. Let's get back at it. Let's get consistent. That's when you see all your results, Alec, when you get consistent. Yes, you're not going to see the the biggest results on day 1 or day 2 or day 3. But guess what? Multiply that by 90 there's some results. Multiply that by two, there's some more results. Multiply that by three, there's more. It's that power of compounding growth. And that's what I always think about. I'm like, you're not going to make it today. I've been in this online game for almost two years now, dude. And it's been a grind. I wanted to quit so many effing times. It's insane. Mm -hmm. Insane. But I didn't. And I'm glad I didn't. There's hard days. There's great days. What I've learned is if I show up every day, that's all that matters. And I do. You know what I mean? and uh to gain that momentum back i strip all the fat and the best thing i ever do and i tell everybody i'm like you don't know what to do you're confused you're lost you need you need to start back at ground zero paper and pen brother pick it up i don't want you to listen to anything i want you to i want you i want you to sit down i want you to jive with that pen and paper 30 minutes an hour 2 hours i don't give a shit how long it takes figure out what you want get all that mental mess out on paper and figure it the fuck out. <laughs> and, and then even more so than that is don't overcompensate for yourself. Don't set, this is where I, I fucked up for the first year of online businesses. I set these hefty goals, really hefty and really short time frames. And of course I failed because I'm jumping up to a bar that I can't obtain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So every time I fail, I feel like I'm an idiot. I'm like, you're such an idiot. It's like, no, Alex, you are an idiot, but not for the reason you think you are. You're an idiot because you put that bar so high. Of course you weren't going to grab it put it a little lower it's not bad to shoot low like me when i when i got out of rehab and getting that shitty job and then i got a better job and then a better and then a better shoot low build confidence grab the next rung and the next rung and the next rung and you just keep climbing so what i do and again i had to do this last sunday literally for an hour and a half i sat down with this pen and paper dude and i just I, i i like to say i broke my i tore myself down and somebody's like, you you tore you you tore yourself down. I'm like, yeah, everything bad I was doing, I tore myself up. And then I rebuilt myself. And I'm like, we're back, baby. And I have con I feel great. If you would have talked to me last Sunday, dude, I was in the gutter. Mindset-wise, in the gutter. You know what I mean? Mm. This would have been a totally different interview. But now I'm like, dude, you know why? Because I had seven days of consistent actions lining up with what I said I was going to do. And I started small. You know what I said? The only three things that I really wanted to do this week was 15,000 steps. I want to write for 30 minutes every morning, done it. Cold shower for two minutes every morning. That was like my three non-negotiables. Like just start there. Just start there. Did Did it every day. Momentum. Momentum. That's it. And then I add, and then this week we'll add, we'll add more. And that's all it is. It's grabbing the next rung and adding and adding and adding.
1: I love it, man. You, you're talking my language. I think it's, yeah, there's adding of the rungs, the momentum. I've been an avid journaler for, I feel like my whole adult life. And I used to beat myself up on if I would miss periods, which I definitely have Mm -hmm. over the time. I've been very consistent Mm -hmm. probably the last 18 months to, to 24 months, but I would go moments where I just wouldn't journal for, for weeks. And I would do this, and you know, you mentioning paper and pen and just getting something out, whether it's goals or whether it's just a few little things that you want to do, whatever the case may be, <laughs> I've always found it so cathartic just being able to release whatever you're going through during the day. Wow, you that's men- so amazing. Yeah, you mentioned before having a bit of a journaling practice. But one thing I, I've found, and I'm curious to know your experience is – when i haven't done it 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 all ends up in here and you you mentioned it before when it's all in your head right for yeah no one who's watching you know when it's all in your head and you're not getting it out and you're not you know performing these actions more and more where do you find it goes and then i'd love to know yeah your experience with with the journaling and how that's helped and and what that practice looks like if that's a daily thing or yeah
0: Every time I every time I get run rid of one of my healthy habits, it gets substituted with a negative habit. Smoking a little bit too much weed, watching a little bit too much Netflix, eating shitty food. Like these are these main things that I derive to when like my nightly routine is like this. Like when I come I like to come up here. I like to turn that red light on behind me. I like to stretch in front of it. I like to sit there, maybe do some breath work. I like to sit down. I like to journal. I like to plan my day. If I don't do that, and there's been times, a lot of times this year that I, I strayed away from that. And then that's when I'll sit downstairs and I'll smoke a little weed and I'll watch Netflix. And then that turns into not going to bed when I should. And it turns to staying up late. It turns into eating junk food and like these things. And then it's it's a big revolving, it's a big snowball that you're rolling down a hill because that gets worse than the next night you do it. Cause you say, oh, that felt good last night. And then your next night you do it. And in doing that, you shatter your confidence, my confidence. And in doing that as well, you get inside your head and I'm not doing the stuff that makes me feel good anymore. I'm, I'm doing the stuff that makes me feel good, but in a bad way. Mm. You know what I mean? Cause that's all dopamine there with the smoking weed and the watching TV. It feels good, but it's not getting me anywhere. It feels good in the moment, but it feels shitty the next day. Whereas if you do your goals, it might feel shitty in the moment, but it feels real good the next day. Mm-hmm. So that's just a big lever for me. Is, it's just, it's like the energy thing, man, you know, energy is not created nor destroyed. It's just going to get transferred. And that's what happens there. And what journaling is for me, man. Um, it's funny. Cause when I first started journaling, it was right when I got out of rehab, I, uh, I read the morning miracle by Hal El- Elrod, great book.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: started journaling, but I had a tro- uh, real problem with it because like, I thought like a lot of guys, I'm like, journaling's for women. <laughs> and I, like I was going, I was going in there with like the Dear diary attitude. You know what I mean? Like, Dear diary, this is how my day went. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, I, I didn't know how to mend it to me. And now I've realized, and I tell people this, and I think I'm insane. Cause they're like, oh, do you ever go back and look at your ideas? I'm like, yo dude, I write on this legal pad and every time I fill up a page, I rip it out and I crumble it up and I throw it away. Wow. It's like, that's what I do. I was like, that's what I do. I was like, in one, I can't even read my handwriting. So I couldn't go back and read it if I wanted to. You know what I mean? <laughs> The biggest thing for me is literally the act of writing because there's a funny study about this, and Jordan Peterson talks about it a lot. They did it at the University of Texas, and they and they they proved that journaling to yourself mimics talking to another person because sharing your problems with somebody else, you get that sense of relief. And guess what? You can share all your deep, dark secrets with yourself and get that feeling of relief by sharing it out on paper. So I don't even really talk about the negatives as much last Sunday I did, but like, mostly I go in there and I brain dump, like I always start with, I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for something, whatever that is. I say that I start off with gratitude. And then from there, man, I just, maybe I'll talk about my day. Maybe I'll break it down. Maybe there's a situation that didn't work out well. I want to talk about it a little more, but then I dive into what are my goals? What's going on? What's what's tomorrow look like? How can I make this better? What do I want to do here? It's all about like, wherever my mind takes me, that's where I go. Mainly as of late, I've been talking about a lot of goals and like how do I want to spread this message to more people? Like, that's been the big thing on my mind. So, I'm writing this out. My best ideas come when I talk to myself via this pen and paper Mm. because you, I start to realize things I didn't even know I had in my mind. I didn't even know. I was like, holy shit. And I figured it out with writing. The best ideas I've ever had come from this pen and paper. It just unlocks this creativity inside of me. I didn't even know. And even more so than that, I listened to, uh, and I'm not familiar, know if you're familiar with uh, Dan Coe and Dickie Bush.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: They just had a podcast. I think it's about last week, but I listened to it. Three hour banger, amazing. And, you know, Dickie Bush is the Ship 30 guy. He talks about writing a lot. And I was like, I need to dedicate more time to writing. So now, after listening to that, every morning I hit Ms. Garmin watch, I hit a 30 second, uh, not 30 second, 30 minute timer. Mm -hmm. Uninterrupted, no music, no nothing. I literally just write. And I've done that all seven days this week. Feel fucking amazing. The clarity of mind that I have from doing that is just out of this world. And it's something that I'm going to increase in the future because I realize the power of writing. It is so amazing. And if you would have told me five years ago that I'd be writing now, like this offset, like you're fucking crazy. No <laughs> way. No way. But it is powerful, man. It's been. If I had to to pick one thing from my my personal development tool belt that has helped me the most, it would be this pen and paper. No doubt about it. The easiest thing, 99-cent pen, 99-cent pen, notebook, easiest shit. And it has brought me the most clarity, the most sanity, and it has helped me in so many ways.
1: Dude, this is so powerful. And I'm so grateful to hear you in this moment for me, you sharing that you've had, you know, the previous week, a rough week, had we had this conversation seven, eight days ago, it would have been completely different. I resonate with that so much, man. Like I said, mm. falling off the wagon with missing a week, mm. even though it's just one week. I it Hurts. Yeah, because the actions that you do is a reflection of who you are. And if you're not doing them mm. for yourself, like you've said, and that study, like that shows, putting these down in writing, it's, it's so cathartic, it's so empowering for you you know, sharing your, your darkest secrets with some people maybe isn't something that everyone can confront, but you know, you live with yourself every day. So getting it down on paper, I feel like it just releases it. And that's what I'm hearing in, in your thoughts. I mean, you scrunch them up and throw them away. I keep, I've got most of mine. (laughs) I I sometimes go back and read. I I did this a few weeks ago. I just went back and read like, what the fuck was I doing three years ago on this day? Like, I'm in a, I'm having a tough, I'm having a tough day or whatever it is oh, this is what exactly what you did three years ago. This is what you felt was mm-hmm. important to ride on. So yeah, with all of that said, man, this has been a fucking awesome chat. I really appreciate it. I would love to know, I guess moving forward, you know, you've mentioned Default Kings, your coaching with them, but also the coaching stuff that you're working mm-hmm. on and helping men, you know, through discipline, expand their goals. I think I I got that right, but feel free to correct me on it. I would love to know, though, what you're building towards now, like what the vision is for Alex Cherry. You've been this guy who's gone through some pretty hectic shit in life, and I think it's really important to touch on all of that and what we have, but what does the future look like for you? What are you building?
0: Well... I think when enough people tell you that you're the shit, you got to start believing them. And they don't tell me that verbatim that you're the shit, but they always tell me, Alex, there's something special about you. Cause again, I'm a, I'm a very charismatic person. I have this story and a lot of people who have a story similar to me don't have the piece that I have. And that's me, my personality. I have this, this thing where I can talk in front of people. I don't care. I'm charismatic. I'm witty. And that's not to talk myself up. That's just the reality of the situation. So with That being said, like what I want to do is I want to, one, I want to branch out on social media more and I want to help as many men as I possibly can get fit for themselves and kind of get rid of these these little addictions that they have in the process. Not that That's not to say like full-blown heroin, cocaine addicts. That's to say everybody has these little addictions, social media, porn, junk food, alcohol, negative thoughts. They have all these things going on, and I – have a system that helped me get out of it. And I want to help those people change. And you know why I want to help those people change? Because I'm not just helping one man change. In doing so, if that man has a family, he's going to help inspire them to change. They might infect other people. It's a big spider web of thing. I want to infect people with this positive change to help as many people as I can. And even more so than that, as I said at the start of this podcast, is I want to double down on public speaking as well. Because I, I enjoy it. The funny thing is, right before I go up on stage, I hate it. I'm like, oh, shit, why am I here and why did I sign up to do this? <laughs> and then I get up there and you break the rust off. You're like, oh, okay, this is good. This is fun. And uh, it was funny because at the end of my first talk at the middle school this week, the the middle school principal came up to me and said, hey, I would really like you to come back and talk to our eighth graders. like they got some bad apples in there. They're not doing very well. And I was like, holy shit. Eighth grades come a long time, really far from when I was in eighth grade, because they're doing drugs or vaping. I was like, I wasn't even thinking about that in eighth grade. So I'm going to go back to the school and speak to them. And Really, just doubling down on public speaking in my local area because I really want to infect positive change because these are the people who know me. Um, I live in a very rural town. Everybody knows everybody. And if there's anybody that I can impact, it's the people who know me. So I want to double down on my local area and give more speeches. And, you know, in the future, start something for the community here that they can have for more to do because that's, that's the biggest thing where addiction comes around is not having any outlets. And, uh, that's something a little bit down the road, like a five-year goal, but that's something that, that I'm working towards a little closer every single day. And, and and how I'm doing that is refining the skills that we talked about this whole podcast, journaling, becoming a better person, the, 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 the the best version of myself is going to be the person who creates this, this vision I have for my local community. And and unless I get to that and obtain that best version of myself, I'll never obtain that dream and that vision I have to bring to this area. So the way I'm working with that is just becoming better every day. You know, you talked about falling down. I've fallen down. You know, shit happens. But guess what? It's only a negative experience if you don't learn from it. And I've learned so much from every time I've fallen down. You know what I mean? Like this past Sunday, like that last Sunday, like I learned a lot, you know, and I was like, okay. And you know what? Will I fuck up again? Fuck yeah, I'm going to mess up again. I might get down in the dumps again, but guess what? It's going to be for a different reason than last time. I'll patch that part of the boat. I'll go along. I'll fuck up again, be a different part. It's just an ever-growing process, man. So yeah. my big goal is to it, – it boils down in the simplified version of what I want to do is help as many people as possible, more specifically men. Because, uh, I mean, I'm a man, and I want to connect with other men who are trying to get the absolute best out of their lives. So that's really the simplified version of what my, my next year and, honestly, life looks like.
1: I love it, man. Thank you so much for sharing that. I look forward to uh, to seeing how those goals play out. And yeah, I think you, you're you a great role model for men. I can see the the charisma coming through the screen. I'm sure people can hear it in in the episode, you know, in this conversation. So yeah, thank you for all that you've shared. And I think it's important, you know, I'm seeing more and more online now, this masculine revival and also the feminine revival. There's more men's groups popping up here in Melbourne men helping nice. more men and like being able to you know you know there's been this yeah toxic masculinity malinity toxic masculinity narrative for a little while now and like the idea of like mansplaining men who overexplain explain certain things it's all just to cut people down, women as well, right? We all have natural things. Can I
0: can I interject one time because Please. there's another part of that toxic There's another part of that toxic masculinity that I was unaware of. But my one sister, she has a master's in psychology. She actually did her dissertation on toxic male masculinity. She wow. asked to interview me. My my intention was to go in this interview and fucking roast her because I thought. <laughs> Toxic masculinity was exactly about what she said, what you just said, but it wasn't. You know what it was is it's about men breaking other men down, which is equally as sad. So Mm -hmm. imagine this, that you're younger and you want to talk to your best friend about how you feel. Stop being a fucking pussy, man. Be a man. That's toxic masculinity as well. Men breaking other men down, thinking you have to suppress your emotions to be some type of man. Like there's this template to be a man. Like, no, what men need to realize is like, we have fucking feelings too. We go through shit too. We have hardships too. And the more you fucking put that inside of you, that that's going to do some to you, man. And that's going to like that's infecting your subconscious. And it's going to make sure that you don't reach this level that you should because you're talking yourself down with the self talk of you're a fucking idiot, you're a douchebag, you can't do shit, you don't deserve this. Like, this is what men do to other men as well, which is a crying shame. And I see it all the time on Twitter as well. But that's another part of toxic masculinity that doesn't get talked about the men shaming other men for, you know, like, the, this is where you should be when you're 30 you know, tweets that people have. It's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know what? We all go through different struggles, man. You know what I mean? Look at fucking Colonel Sanders. Homie didn't hit it with freaking KFC till he was like 64. Yeah. And that guy chipped away, man. You know what I mean? So like we all have our own story, man. We're all going at our own pace. Just because you, you see homeboy who's 21 in an agency on YouTube ad saying, you're a pussy because you don't drive for Ferrari. Fuck you. You know what I mean? <laughs> We're all traveling down this road, man. That's it.
1: I love it, man. Like you said, we're all going different pace. It's all our own different race, and, and people have different interests, and that's totally fine. But I love that. Thank you for bringing up that point on on the toxic toxic masculinity. Yeah, it can come from it can come from anywhere. But that idea that you know we need to build stronger men to help society, I think is is a one that we definitely need and we need women to to play their role as well mm-hmm. and that divine feminine energy i feel like he's coming back more and more at least in the women that i'm you know spending more time with so um i definitely think what you're working on and hoping to build is uh is definitely needed in this world man so looking forward to to seeing that evolve and however i can help from here in melbourne australia with my podcast i would love to love to do so So brother, thank you. Thank you so much for all that you've shared. I would love to know, and the reason why I started this podcast is because pre my podcasting days, I listened to guys like Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss was a big one after reading his four hour work week and listening to their podcasts. You know, they have some of the most high profile guests on the planet. Obviously they have access to almost anyone they sort of would want but one of their questions went along the lines of what advice would you give to your younger self? And I always thought, well, what if I ask the everyday person that, you know, my dad, the neighbor, and I would love to know for you, Alex, that same question. What advice would you give to not only your younger self, but I would also love for you to project into the future. My maths and mental timeline has you in your early thirties. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I would love to know if you would it give advice to say your maybe sixty two year old self, that sort of Colonel Sanders esque man <laughs> but also your <laughs> your younger self, perhaps that that ninth grader in uh, in middle school or high school?
0: I'll say this before I give you my answer is the smartest the the most successful people in the world, the Jeff Bezos, the Bill Gates, Elon Musk, now them two might be anomalies there, but just imagine these million and millionaires and billionaires. They're not smarter than you, but what they are is they're more consistent than you. Mm. What I would tell myself is to keep going. There's been a lot of times that I've quit activities and quit things because I haven't seen that instant gratification or results right now and that has deterred me in a lot of ways in my life and i've realized that success is just showing up every single day and being consistent um the only thing i would tell myself is like there's been a lot of times in my life where you know the only option i've ever thought about is suicide like during drug addiction especially because i thought there's no way there's no way going to climb out of this hole that I've dug for myself. There's just no way. That's what I thought about when I got out of jail. There's no way I'm just gonna be some general laborer working in the factory the rest of my life. There's no way I'm gonna make something of myself. Well, guess what, here I am. So I would tell myself, keep going, no matter what. I don't care how dark the days are. Like last Sunday, last Sunday was dark, brother. It was fucking dark. And I wanted to quit, but here I am today feeling like a million fucking dollars. Keep going no matter what. You're going to have bad days. The bad days are the the best days because those are what is going to test your resolve, and that is what is going to give you the strength to keep going on the good days. That is what's going to make the good days sweet and amazing and feel fantastic because you know after you hit that good day, the valley of despair you were in, and you're up there now, you're like, holy shit, you're looking down in that valley. You're like, I was fucking down there, and now I'm not. (laughs) That's fucking crazy. Once you you stack enough of those valley despairs up, you're like, damn, I am fucking powerful, man. Yeah. And that's all it is. So no matter what, man, I always tell myself that fucking keep going, keep going no matter fucking what, I don't care what happens. Keep trugging along.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Keep showing up, dude. It's great advice. And normally I, I, I like to end around this point, but I would love to know, I mean, you touched on it there, guys like Bezos. We've, the, the, I guess the mental muscle of showing up, it can look very different if you're, you know, training. And I can even see you're wearing a long sleeve shirt there, but I can see like your arms, you know, through, through the shirt, you're obviously, you know, in good shape yourself. That's a very observable thing. If someone is consistent in the gym, they have a good physique. They're strong. They're able to take care of themselves in that way. But the, the mental discipline that it takes to be successful in the business world is something less observable. Yes, you could drive a fucking car at 21 or Mm -hmm. at any age, whatever that case may be, but someone who's on that journey, right, it's less, you're less able to see it. Not that I think we do it for that reason, but, you know, when you've, say, for example, for me, I you know, did some pull-ups the other day and was able to beat my PR by two all of a sudden, just like from from nowhere, right, which was great. Not a huge thing, but for anyone, you know, who, who works out, you know that when you, you know, all of a sudden go for a PR, it's like, oh, I've made this progress. That's a very easy to recognize thing, you know, abs start popping, whatever the case may be, you're able to see these things in your body. But with business, it's a little bit different. I would love just to know, just to get your thoughts, if you have any in this moment. What are some of the metrics or, or things that you recognize in a business sense that's like, oh, I'm making progress. I'm moving the needle here.
0: Yeah, that's where having these goals and, and more specifically these long-term goals come into place because you need these daily KPIs, these key performance indicators to know if you're moving the needle because you said it perfectly. The business one is a little harder to obtain and to see if you're being successful if you're not tracking it. You have to track these metrics in various different ways. So I'm tracking a very a bunch of various different metrics. You know, I'm tracking how many DMs I'm getting. I'm tracking how many DMs I'm sending. I'm tracking my followers. I'm tracking my business. How much monthly revenue did I get this month? Oh, I've had this many clients. How many signed up for another month? Oh, I had this much churn? Huh, wonder why that is. Oh, maybe I should send a survey to them and ask. Okay, figure that survey out and then proceed forward. So it's about figuring these things out. And the thing about these key performance indicators is, and it's like anything in life, you're not going to have everything down at the first mark. Like sending surveys to guys, I didn't realize that for the first eight, nine months of doing this until I started realizing the churn. Oh, why can't I get these guys to sign up for another round? Huh? Maybe I should figure out why instead of sitting here in my own mind wondering why they're not doing it. So then I come up with a survey. Okay, guys are churning. Hey, you mind filling out this survey? Five questions, okay, great, easy. Now I have something visible. Oh, it cost too much. Oh, it wasn't as good as I thought. Oh, can you explain a little more why that is? Oh, that was something that came on the second round of key performance indicators. Oh, if I just ask them why it didn't work, well, I need more definition, add a question. So it's just about growing as you go and realizing that when when you're doing anything, specifically in business, like when you're building this house, you're not going to have the whole house fucking built. Imagine this. You're going to build the house, but it's fucking full of guts. So they just literally have the frame up and all the studs and everything. Slowly but surely, you're going to start building the living room and then the kitchen and then the dining room. Like slowly but surely, you're not going to do it in one fall swoop. And that's why a lot of people fail in quitting business because they want to build that house and they want that whole fucker to be remo- like refurbished right now. Mm. No. It's mm. going to take time to get everything in there. And then sometimes you're going to do the kitchen and you're going to be like, shit. I don't like this kitchen. It doesn't work. Got to Got it. Got the kitchen. And then you got to freaking build a new kitchen. And, you know, and like, that's just business right there. It's just growing and figuring out and then realizing like, oh, I need to learn more shit. So then you start looking for stuff. You start getting books. You start listening to podcasts. You start going to websites. Like the, the game in the journey is all the fun, man, and learning these things. Yeah. And that's the thing. P- people just want the end goal. They just want the nice car and the bank account and the watch and the clothes. Like, no, man, fuck that. The, the greatness and where you're going to get the most sensation is building it mm. and figuring out what works and what doesn't. And then that's the grind, man. And that's the hustle. And that's where you get excited to wake up and be like, okay, how am I going to make this better today? Like I'm doing this week. Like I've been coaching guys one-on-one and I'm making a big shift right now. I'm going to start doing group coaching. I'm like, okay, this is going to be fun. Never done this before. Is it going to be haggard the first round? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be haggard. It's going to be haggard. But guess what? The next round. It's going to be less haggard and the next round is going to be less haggard so it's just this building thing man it's just it's just continual growth and realizing that it's another cliche but rome wasn't building the day my friend it's going to take time
1: mm, mm. that's it you can't take time out of it alex some great insights man i love that one and all that we've spoken about today thank you so much for sharing before we go could you let people know where to get in in touch with you i be sure to put them all in the show notes but yeah where can people reach out if they want to get in touch
0: i am on i am on the one and only best social media site on the internet and that is twitter.com at Alex W Cherry.
1: amazing bro and then finally is there anything you'd like to maybe touch on that i haven't prompted with a question before we go but like i said i've really enjoyed this conversation man
0: no, man, I think we should end this because if we don't, I think you and I could go for another two and a half, three hours, man, because we're just jiving right now. We're having a good time. So I think we've covered everything that we could have, and uh, this was just an absolutely amazing conversation, man. I'm thrilled and grateful that you had me on, man. This just uh, this filled my cup, and it made my day a little sweeter, and I'm going to go get a nice pump at the gym on after this.
1: Fuck yeah, bro. I'm going to get a pump as well. Seven, quarter to seven coming up to yeah. it, so... I'll... I'll get it there as the sun starts to rise here in Melbourne, bro. Thank you so much. This has been a great way to start my week. I'll uh, I'll look forward to getting this one out. So thank you so much.
0: Appreciate you, brother.
1: And there you have it, another episode of the Hope Initiative. Thank you so much again to Alex for sharing all that he did and taking the time to do so. I appreciate it, mate, and looking forward to following along on your journey to build all that you are. And to all of you for listening, thank you so much. An hour and 40 odd minutes. I really appreciate you. So if you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with a family member or friend, someone you think will get some value out of it. And as always, keep creating your life and all the very best.